Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Welcome to On the Up and Up this week. We are talking about a really huge topic that we don't often get too many questions about, but this often ends up being the answer to a lot of the questions that we get, especially with managers that are building a team or if you're leading a team in a work environment. Um, But I think that one of the things that's really hard to tap into is that we all feel a sense of checking things off a list when it comes to developing anything having to do with work. So like a leadership skill or, you know, a new design skill or a writing skill or learning how to use a new learning how to use a new system or whatever. We always want to find a way to be able to follow a process, check things off a list, whatever. And when it comes to leadership, it's really hard to do that. You could check everything off of a list that says, go be a good leader, do these five things, and still have issues with your employees. And actually, you should, honestly. Like, there's no kind of magic wand that you can wave and be an incredible leader that prevents every single problem from happening. Um, However, there are certain skills that take time to develop that will naturally and inherently limit the issues that you have on your team that are the hardest to deal with. And by intentionally building trust and accountability into the conversations that you have with your team, you're likely going to be setting the stage for a preventative measure for how to deal with employee issues in the future. And when we say employee issues, we don't mean that if an employee has a need, they're being dramatic or anything like that. Um, We want to try to find the balance between our employees' needs and our businesses' needs. And that can be one of the things that's the most difficult to stretch within the context of leadership. However, if you are able to establish trust and accountability, and by doing that in a really strategic way through your remote work environment, those problems are going to be less and they're going to be a little bit easier to deal with because you're going to be able to have open, clear, and vulnerable communication with your team. So often we see leaders come to us with questions and building trust is the right answer, but it's often too late. So we're hoping that this episode reaches you in time to make sure that you're changing a few ways in which you're building trust with your team or communicating with your team, or even kind of doubling down on some of the things that we talk about today that you're already doing. So if you listen to On the Up and Up, you're likely already developing a lot of these skills just naturally through taking the time to invest in yourself and your leadership and your management and even your HR compliance, since those things do weave in together. Um, and we've noticed along the way that if the answer is go build trust, we're often a little bit too far gone. So I'm hoping that this episode helps to bridge the gap and motivates you or sheds a little bit of light on what that inevitably abstract and frustratingly intangible skill is that you will want to learn. So thanks for being here today, our first episode of February. We decided to start February 
um, as our first month of 2024 because January was so tough. I mean, for I had COVID and then <laughs> I fell down the stairs. So I've been pretty much immobile for the last three weeks, um, just a big bruise or whatever. Um, but the weather's, you know, here in San Diego, our weather's pretty straightforward, but we had a rainy few weeks and now it's nice and sunny outside. So I think this is the perfect time to start 2024. So <laughs> if you're on that wavelength, of course, our January episodes are, are super high value and fun to listen to, but you'll notice that I'm a little more congested and it, they're a little bit more to the point. And I think that, you know, in being on this journey of hosting a podcast and getting to know so many of you, like I'm picturing you, the people that I'm DMing on Instagram or talking to an email or whatever that listen to the podcast, um, primarily Instagram, to be honest, but sometimes LinkedIn. Um, I'm like picturing talking to you as we're talking about this. So I always think it's really funny to like not just jump right into a topic and not like address, you know, like personal stuff. Um, but today, for example, I'm batching four episodes. So all of our February episodes in one day. And so that required me to do the full everything shower, blow dry my hair, have different outfit changes, all of that good stuff. So while I hope you're fooled by all the content that comes out with different outfits on <laughs> over the next few days, I do just want to make sure and talk a little bit about how this is if you saw the TikTok or reel that I will hopefully create, and now I have to because I said it on the podcast, um, then you can kind of see how these conversations all link together. And it's a lot easier for me to, and a lot of you small business owners understand this, or just if you are managing a lot of different tasks, it's a lot easier for me to show up in one day to talk about educational topics or to talk about the things that you guys want to listen um, about because they kind of all flow together. So our team, shout out, of course, um, decided to create content-driven months so that each month there's a different content theme. And we've been experimenting with this for five or six months now, and it's been so nice to have a direction in which what we're talking about, how we're answering to the questions that you all are sending in, stuff like that. But what I have noticed is that each of the episodes throughout the content team theme really do stack on top of each other really well. So if you're noticing that there is a theme in the content or if you're noticing that sometimes I'm repetitive, especially if you listen each week, um, just know that that's all building towards a content theme. So if you're, you know, when you go back and listen to January, like all of our episodes from January were all about building a culture where you were onboarding somebody, talking about the logistics of basic HR compliance and things like that. So this month, we're taking it a little bit further and we're talking a little bit more about some really entrenched topics when it comes to building your culture. So on that note, I just want to talk a little bit about why this felt like such a good place to start for February. So I think that, you know, not only just kind of feeling a little bit of that new year, new me <laughs> energy. Um, I think it's really important because during December, we're doing a lot of bonding and there's a lot of opportunity. Oh, I should probably do not disturb. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to connect with your team. There's a lot of opportunity to connect with your loved ones, your coworkers, your friends, your family. And then January feels a lot like a refresh period. Um, whereas in February, we're kind of starting out with this newer, more 
out in the world energy. And it tends to be a little bit of a busier month for us too. Um, businesses are kind of recovered from the holidays and starting to think about what their next hire might look like or what their scaling goals are for the year and how team might play into that. So it makes sense that February would be a busy month for us. So on that note, we wanted to make sure that this month's content was all about those intangibles and those cultural things that come with building a business. And today's episode about establishing trust and accountability in a remote setting is going to talk a lot about some of those intangibles, why they're important, and hopefully just share a little bit about the bumps and bruises that I've had over the last 11-ish, 12, 13 years. Um, I don't want to talk about it. Um, Working within teams, being leaders on teams, especially coming right out of college and not having and getting into a lead position and not having any idea what that meant or what that looked like. and then getting it added to be a lead of my boyfriend at the time's older brother, who's like eight years older than me, um, and being his lead as the very first place I've ever been a leader outside of sports and you know smaller jobs and stuff like that. So I think when you talk about uh, awkward and uncomfortable situations of leadership – There's so many of them that we can talk back to all the way to a decade and a half ago. But what I think is something that I wish I would have known then, and I hope that this kind of comes off now, is that trust really is the foundation for any functional relationship, whether it's in work or in your life or whatever the case may be. And I think that we were kind of, especially as women, taught that trust means being relied upon no matter what, saying yes to everything, being a helper, being a helping hand, all of that good stuff. And the truth is that trust looks different um, when you are a fully accountable adult that has to put your needs first. And that is not just in home, but it's also or relationships at home, but it's also in your work environment. So What having a solid trust system within work allows us to do is to set boundaries that will be respected and celebrated. It allows us to have conversations that have meaning. It allows us to have deeper and more long-lasting relationships. And it allows us to have feelings that don't necessarily kind of siphon off the productivity of team or it doesn't siphon off your ability to lead because you're having an emotional reaction to something. Um, it's allows building trust within your team allows everyone to show up fully as themselves when they're doing their work, which means that they're going to put themselves out there a little bit more. They're going to offer up ideas. They're going to offer up Um, ways of thinking and alternative ways of thinking and contrary opinions and contrary beliefs that are really going to flex and push out the fabric of your business to reach a broader audience and to reach a broader set of clients or even depending on the nature of your business to reach other members of your team. So we're not going to talk too much about that now, but bringing diverse opinions into your team that feel a little uncomfortable or awkward can be one of the most powerful things that you can do to grow your business because it pushes that membrane of your business out to make sure that you are reaching different people and that your business doesn't just represent you. So you are just one individual in the world going up and down. And it sometimes does feel like we have this main character energy when we're the founder of the business, when we're the face of the business. But moving in the direction of a sustainable business that's going to withstand 
all sorts of seasons of your life, which many of our clients have that goal or are within that process of their own journey on of their career, means that you have to be able to let people truly in. And my kind of, I don't want to say resolution, but my goal this year is, I have a couple, but um, in the interest of, you know, February being the first <laughs> month of 2024, um, is my goal of this year is to overcome the perfectionism that I feel. So I've often found myself in situations where I need to edit or redo something or quality, you know, review something or whatever. And at the same moment, if it's it's unnecessary, like a lot of times my team is trained and paid and they perform in a way that is really impactful and doesn't need anything else from me. Maybe some feedback or a tweak here and there in the early parts of the process, but I don't need to be queuing, QAing stuff that my team did for the last two and a half years impeccably. Um, so learning how to overcome that perfectionism and understanding that sometimes it's just doing something and not having it be perfect. Now, there's a lot of reasons that I feel that way in my life, but um, just for this particular experience and for this year, I wanted to throw that out there because I think that's a really solid theme to embrace when you're learning how to build trust on your team is to understand your shortcomings and how you can actually get out of your own way when it comes to building that trust. One of the ways that I feel like so empowered and excited about this goal for me to overcome this perfectionism is because of the trust that I've built with my team, not only to do the tasks that they've already been doing really well that I haven't had to really do anything about, even if I pretended I was QAing them or whatever, um, but also because they are comfortable enough to tell me that in their own way. You know, like, please get out of my way. You are not helpful <laughs> or whatever the case may be. And I want to say that while we joke and laugh about it, it can feel hard for me and it can feel like a stretch, but I've noticed, especially during January, which we're pretending was in 2023, um, that was a really hard physical and mental month for me, you know, being sick and things like that and seeing how my business just kind of rolled with it and did great and pushed forward with me doing the bare minimum for three out of the four weeks, you know, in January with one week being completely off the grid, not only was I so proud of my team and so proud of what they've accomplished and proud of what they've learned and what they've created, but I'm also really in touch with the feeling of why we do what we do for our clients at this moment. And it all comes from that root of trust and that root of accountability. And one of the quotes that always comes up, and I think this is probably a corporate quote, but for me, for some reason, it it kind of comes up all the time, even just like in talking to myself, is if two people are accountable for something, then no one is. And when we're building job descriptions, we're designing your business models, we're working on your org charts and things like that, because um, we do all of that in our services, measuring out your profit margins, things of that nature. That's one of the things that we're looking at the most is where is the accountability being confused? Where is it being um, kind of done twice? Where Who is actually accountable for this and who is just working on this as a part of a team? And do, do things need to change within the processes, the offers, or the communication within the team in order for it to make sense for one person to be accountable. Multiple people can be accountable for a big project based on their different parts. So a really great example is within your project management system, you might have a big task that 
one person is responsible for, but the little pieces within it, maybe other people are accountable for. So being able to be really clear and straightforward with who's accountable for what leads to an element of empowerment and trust that you may not feel like you have within your team so far. So if you're looking for a way to get started without having something be intangible in regards to trust, I would say that it is just that really strategic way of building out new processes where you are being really clear and direct about where the accountability lies within each part of the process. And then start to look at the things that you really don't need to be doing that could actually make your employees' life a lot easier if they just did it themselves. And start to have conversations geared around empowerment and trust of, I mean, I just said, I'm really afraid to give this up, but I know that you'll do a great job. How do you feel about handling this and having this be your accountability? And then literally we talk about like, I'm just like, okay, good after it. Like I'll get out of your way. But that is honestly sometimes what it feels like. It feels like you're physically removing yourself. Like it actually feels like a physical change in your location almost to pull yourself out of these habits that are actually eliminating your ability to make to make a real connection based on trust within your team. So we talked a little bit about my personal journey and past episodes, but one of the biggest examples of this is is why I started Paradigm. And just this like kind of abbreviated version of the story is that for a really long time, I was the person that didn't let... Now I'm like, I wish I could do this better, but it was really bad. Um, I was the person in a business that couldn't let go of anything. And my boss at the time was very happy to have me do it all. And I understood why, because my the thing that I was trying to do was to prove that I was worth my salary. So within a small business environment, and you guys all know this, you you're not going to make $2 million a year salary or $700,000 a year salary or something like that when you're working for a small business, at least at first. And especially in kind of operations roles or something like that. Maybe in sales, it's a little bit easier to see those numbers. But within a small business environment, most of the time we're trying to be as lean and efficient as possible with our teams and with our payroll. And so I wanted to make sure that I could make as much possible money while still working for the small business that I love. Currently, we still work there. And so the way that I thought to do that was to absorb people's jobs. So I ended up taking on the equivalent of, I would, I used to say six people, but now I think it's five people's jobs. And because we've, you know, leaned it out a little bit. <laughs> and essentially over the years, I would just take, be like some, the training manager would leave and I would take on their responsibilities. And the learn how to do it. And the person that did payroll would leave and I would take that on. And the person that did HR left and I took that on. That was fairly early on. Um, the person that managed a different location left, I took that on and split my time between multiple locations. Um, the person that did social media, they were not that functional. So I started doing that. Um, people writing our copy in our newsletters, I started doing that, managing the finances on the internal side. I don't do the external finances now, like budgets and bills and stuff. But basically the income coming in, the generating of sales, I started doing that. And now we have a team of five of us that handles everything. And every single one of those people is a full-time employee. So for me to be able to let go of all of those tasks and to delegate them to other people was not a result of me getting smarter the way that I'm trying to talk about it now, but it was the result of a, a literal nervous breakdown, like an actual 
calling in the mental health specialist, calling my mom, taking Xanax every single day for a month, having a panic attack just because my body would physically not let me go to work. I just couldn't handle it anymore. And funny, this is a funny story, but not hilarious, haha funny, but just a really good example of like how valid this was is I was like, why can't I handle this? It's just a small business. It's just a social media thing. It's just a marketing meeting. It's just a sales whatever. Like it's just a new system update, like, you know, whatever the case may be. And but all of that stacks on top of each other and it starts to like really crush you and and sit on your shoulders in a way that is a lot of pressure. And on top of that, I was the I'm managing HR, which means that anytime someone has a problem, I hear about it. So whether and for this position, it was front facing, meaning the 3000 clients we saw per week, um, some of them is going to have an issue that they need to talk to a manager or director about, as well as the employees, which were my main priority, hiring training, developing them, passing them off to people in the water that could help them train in the water, things like that. So realistically, it was impossible for me to do, but I still didn't ever feel validated that I was doing enough. And I stopped trusting my perspective of things. And it got to a point where I was leaving my house one morning and my body physically would not let me go to work. My phone had already been ringing off the hook all day. I'd been trying to get a workout in before I headed into work. And it was just impossible to even have like one minute where my phone wasn't blowing up. And for whatever reason, while that wasn't different than any other day, it hit me that day in a really big way. And by the time I I just like crumpled on the ground and started breathing really heavily and having a panic attack. And in that process, I just knew that something had to change. And it wasn't like, oh, I had a panic attack and then I was fine. Like it was a journey after that to try to get back on my feet to feel better. Um, but while I was laying on the floor <laughs> in my living room, I kept getting phone calls from one particular employee because they like wanted to leave early or something that day. Something like not emergent. And I just stopped answering. I mean, I, I was having a panic attack. Like I stopped answering the texts. I, then there, the phone call started over and over and over again. And it just kept pushing me further and further and further down this rabbit hole. So I turned off my phone. And then I got a call from another, you know, basically called my mom. She came over, like made an emergency appointment with my psychiatrist, my psychologist or my therapist and try to figure stuff out. And like, of course, like by then there was this whole pandemonium because this chick couldn't reach me to like ask me to leave early to go to a happy hour or something. I don't know. And I was and then she, she was in the parking lot calling me a fucking bitch. So, you know explicit. But it was like, and then the other staff members were calling me to tell me that, th that that's what she was saying about me. So it was like this big compounding thing where when I did actually remove myself from being able to do my job because I physically couldn't do it, there was a reaction within the team that proved to me, you know, at the time that I was trapped and there was no way to get out of this. If I even take 10 minutes to myself to have a panic attack, then things are going to get worse. I'm going to lose the trust of my employees. I'm going to lose the respect of my employees. I'm useless. I'm not worth my salary. You know, that that loop that was playing in my head. And over the years as I've told this story, because generally that just became one of the reasons that I started Paradigm, because I started to see the power that delegation and proper leadership, meaning trust-based leadership and reliance on others, could have. And you know, the other part of that story is simply that 
once that all started falling apart and then I had to kind of take a few days to myself, the leaders that were waiting to be called in really took control of the situation. So I wasn't as trapped as I thought that I was. While that story was playing in my head, the owner of the company, two of our managers, and one of our trainers really took on my role and said, you know, we need, you know, we need to figure out how to help you. What do you need from us while you're healing, why you need time, you know, whatever the case may be. And truthfully, with the exception of a few employees gossiping, no one was the wiser while I took the time to take care of my mental health and figure myself out. So that situation forced me to see the capability and willingness of people that I had been managing to take on more, to do more, to make a bigger impact. Because the reality of the situation is no clients were affected by me needing a moment. There was some gossip and things like that. But truthfully, when we're talking about accountability, I trained them to be that way. I trained them to need me. I trained them to need a response from me. And to not give it to them erodes the trust really quickly because the way that I was building trust was just to do everything that they needed when they needed it so that they said thank you to me, so that they appreciated me, so that I got something from it. Yes, I hear the codependency here, <laughs> like if, in case you're wondering. Um, and so I wanted to really make sure that while we're talking about establishing trust and accountability, women are falling into this trap where they have to do everything for other people in order to really make an impact. And what I'm here to tell you is that nobody wants you to do that. Your team doesn't want you to do that. Your clients don't want you to do that. You don't want you to do that, which is the most important thing. So if you're going to open up and create a life that is enriching, just the same way that you create a business that is enriching and fulfilling in your life, you have to make sure that you can understand the difference between building out these foundational elements like trust and support and care and service and understanding that that is not real leadership. And real leadership is built in a bunch of different ways. And being needed by your team sometimes feels good, but that's not leadership. And as a matter of fact, if you're needed by your team all the time, you're not doing a very good job of leading them. Or in some areas, you may not be doing a very good job of leading them. So if you're thinking, oh, my team always needs me every time something happens here, then and it's supposed to be their responsibility, then you need to take a cold, hard look at, at what you're doing to impede their process of getting things done. And this is such a lesson because even now in my own business, I'm I'm trying to overcome perfectionism. And a lot of that means overcoming the need for control. And so even though all of this, what I shared with you was something that happened in 2018, I still just want to like reiterate that even within building my own team, bringing in new people, learning different personalities, um, you know, really caring about my team and how things develop and my business and things like that is still challenging me in a lot of different ways, even though I've already learned this lesson once. So you're never alone on this journey of leadership. We're always trying to figure out how we're going to make things work, what's going to work the best for us, and how we're going to be able to like really show up in a way that's productive and accountable for our team. So the the big thing here is that we want, I want to run through a couple of notes. So I want to talk about how defining trust in the context of your workplace can be really important. And we already talked a little bit about 
how trust could look like different things in different scenarios and how building trust for different types of leaders might look a little bit different um, and things like that. But one of the things that I really want to establish in this conversation today or something that I think could be really interesting to establish in this conversation today is how you define trust in your workplace that may be different than other businesses so that it opens up the possibility for you to decide what it looks like to be in a trusting relationship, for you to decide how your culture plays on trust in regards to how it connects with your clients or how your culture is the thread between everybody on your team, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're establishing yourself as a reliable source of information or support or guidance or entertainment, then you want to make sure that that's an intentional establishment so that you can make sure that you maintain that column of your purpose within your team all the time. And I say this not only just to founders and leaders, but also managers, but also other employees. Like figure out the area where you can be the most accountable and where you can really grasp onto your strengths and the role that you play within your team dynamic and lean into it and have that be something that you can be counted on for. So it doesn't necessarily mean tasks. Like I even put on the list here with information, support, guidance, or entertainment. If you're on your team and you're playing one of those roles, like whether you're the one that makes everybody feel good on a Monday morning with a funny meme, or we've seen leaders establish themselves in a place of support where everyone is going to them to get a quick pep talk or because they will help you boil things down or help you manage your time. Or I play different roles as a leader on both of the businesses that I manage. So considering, you know, in one of the businesses I manage, I'm much more like hands off. I'm not an implementer within that business. But when my managers and directors need support, they come to me. When they're overwhelmed, they come to me. And I've established myself as a reliable person they can count on to help them kind of screw their head on straight, figure out what they need to do for time management, and support them in getting their work done. Support doesn't mean doing it for them. (laughs) So just keep that in mind. That's a crucial difference that I've learned over the years. So defining what trust looks like in the context of your workplace and how you can show up as a reliable pillar with some really significant purpose can help lend itself to your purpose at work every day that somebody may not be assigning to you, but you have to find within yourself. Um, And also to kind of serve a special purpose on your team. And over time, as you learn and develop and grow, that purpose may change. So understanding and defining the context in which the role you play on your team is actually lending itself directly to the way that your team trusts you. Because you can articulate how those changes might be made along the way. And so then you can be really clear with like, okay, so we're moving into this new direction of the business. Here's what you can count on me for. It may look a little bit different, um, but let's work on it and see how things go. And being really clear and strategic and articulate for the role that you play and how it changes over time is a very freeing thing too. So one of the issues that we talked about in my story was that I was like, this is never going to change. This cycle is never going to stop happening. I'm never going to get a job where I can get paid this much. I'm never going to get a job where I can work in this environment doing what I love. I'm never, I can't leave this. I have to just suffer and feel bad all the time or feel overworked or feel sometimes abused or mistreated or, you know, if you're an HR person, you get it. And there was no way out. And so my perception was so much different than the reality of like a couple of gossipy you know, Gen Zers um, versus the entire multi-million dollar business running itself through without with little to no interruption based on the leadership we'd already developed. I was lucky I had leaders that were ready to go. So I want you to have the same thing. And that's why I built Paradigm so that we could teach you to have people that can help keep your business going so that you can live your life. Um, it really does come down to that. 
Okay. So examples of building trust. We always love a tangible. So I want to talk a little bit about this. So actions speak louder than words. So if you're going all in on the supportive management piece and employees come to you asking for a specific type of support, but you leave them hung out to dry or you brush them off, that will erode the type of trust that you've created in being that supportive manager. So I'm not saying that you have to bow down or, you know, that's that was the wrong word. But if I'm not saying you I was going to say bend over. That's not the right one either. Um, I'm not saying that you have to be at the beck and call of your employees because you've decided to be a support. But what I am saying is that if you're unable to support them in the moment, then you have to be really clear and articulate as to why and making sure that that support is just put into a more appropriate scenario versus not supporting them at all, which will erode the trust. Second, if you say you're going to complete a task, actually complete the task or communicate with your team if it is affecting their ability to do their work. Now, this is really important, especially for CEOs or entrepreneurs that get a backlog of tasks that they have to get done. So just making sure that you're not looking for perfection in your ability to accomplish a task, but instead, if somebody asks you to do something or asks you for support on something or asks you for information or um, to share a website you talked about or something like that. And you say, oh yeah, I'll do that by the end of the day. And then you don't do it. Just make sure that you're always trying to make sure and come back around to that communication and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm not going to get to that today, but I will circle back with you tomorrow. Is it impeding you from doing any of your tasks? And if they're like, no, they're probably gonna be like, no, 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 no big deal, which is much better to, and it's something I'm working on. It's much better for them to have that communication and clarity, even if it's something really small because it shows that you are reliable and you're thinking of them and you're counting on them and that their experience matters. Even if it's just something silly like send me that lip gloss you bought. Oh, I'll send it over to you by the end of the day. Oh, I've totally forgot to do it. I'll send it tomorrow or whatever. Just acknowledging that and not letting those tasks or requests or ideas. This is big with ideas, especially if you're trying to develop leaders coming up and you want to think about it or talk about it or dive deeper into it. Just make sure that you're not making empty promises or you're forgetting about things because it's even better for you to say, I really love that idea. And I think we'll have the bandwidth for that in Q2 rather than let me think about this and I'll get back to you by the end of the day tomorrow. It's better for you to really maintain those, um, I guess, expectations of your team so that they can rely on what you say and they do believe what you say. And that's something that I'm working on too. Um, creating trust, because I have the best of, in we all have the best of intentions. We want to get to everything. We want to serve our team. We want to support them. We want to help them. Sometimes we can't get to it and it's okay. But being able to communicate that instead of just like putting it out of our mind and thinking that it doesn't matter, it might really matter to your team member. So I just want to make sure that, you know, it's just something I've observed in my own behavior that it really does matter to close the loop there and make sure that you are setting up expectations that are going to make sense. And we'll talk about that in just a second too. So creating trust also means removing the uncertainty of an interaction. So this happens a lot if you've ever had a boss that you walked on eggshells around. If you've ever had a coworker where you just never knew what you were going to get, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, when I was in the early part of my career, I had a manager who really in inspired me to create all of our management training stuff and this was, oh my God, it was 15 years ago now. I still, you know, we're having lunch later this month, like still keep in contact with her. She's incredible. And when I had this manager, I was, I don't know, 23. And spoiler alert, Eric sat in the cubicle next to me. 
and he's my husband now. <laughs> and so during this time, we had been dating. And if there was something going on personally or in our relationship, or which I bring that up to say, sometimes it was just me being a little bitchy kid. Um, but sometimes like me and Eric are like slamming on the keyboards fighting over email or whatever. Um, but regardless, she I remember one day I came in with an attitude for whatever reason. And it was a sales job. So there was always something. Somebody was stealing your leads or somebody was, you know, we had a pretty solid friend group. So there was something going on over there or you're just like really under pressure. Like there was a lot of abusive behaviors and a lot of corporate trauma that happened. So I'm not even mad at myself because of all the unlearning I had to do from that environment. Luckily, it wasn't from this manager. But I remember her pulling me in to a conference room one morning. And, you know, I'd probably been out of college for like six months or something. And of course, I was like having a bitchy day. And she said, you you have to like stop this. Like you can't be coming in here with your attitude problem and making everybody else feel bad. And my thought was the extreme version, which is I'm not responsible for how anyone else feels. And I do stand by that in some cases. So like after being in therapy, you learn that, right? But at the time, what I didn't realize was there are, that there are just personalities and there are presences in people, especially leaders, especially entrepreneurs, people that end up in positions to be listening to this podcast, where your personality and your energy really makes a massive impact on the people around you, whether you want it to or not. So actually having an intentional reaction I guess, while you're coming into work, no matter what type of day that you're having outside of it, can be one of the most powerful tools that you have. And so at the time, I was literally like, no, I am not responsible for how other people feel. If they can't handle it, then that's on them. And it's not like I'm saying anything to anyone. And she was kind of explaining to me at the time, like, but it does matter. Like this environment is important for other people too. Everyone is under stress and we all want to start out with having the best possible day that we can in this very stressful job. So the way that you present yourself, it does impact the people around you. You are a leader, whether you're a leader by name or not. People are looking for you to how to react. They're looking at you for how to feel. And of course, I was like, I don't know why they're all like old. <laughs> you know, like I was like, don't they have lives? Like they all have kids they're always talking about, like whatever. And it was just, I just look back on my reaction to that now and I'm like, God, I was such an immature little brat. But at the same token, I understand and give myself compassion looking back at that moment because it wasn't that I was coming in and like being mean to people or anything. It was just like I'd go sit at my desk and then like text fight with Eric for an hour and do my work privately. And I was like, I'm not affecting anyone. But like walking in, saying good morning and sitting down at your desk and having, you know, some kind of like softer energy, it that is how you don't affect other people. That is how other people's feelings do not become your responsibility because bringing in a certain type of energy to the work environment, even the remote work environment that creates a situation where people are on eggshells or they don't know what to expect from you that day. It's not as much about the way they feel. It's more about how you are requiring them to act around you in order to get a consistent person. So I don't know if I'm explaining this well. So, you know, if it is something that you're relating to, then definitely let me know. But I do think that that is one of the lessons that I'll teach employees over the years too. You know, if we get feedback that people aren't, this is of course, like they're not smiling enough or they don't, or they're not approachable or warm or they don't, you know, we have customer service people and they don't want to 
they feel like they're bothering them or the responses in the customer service emails are really short and direct and they're not through the way that we want our team to be heard or you know seen by the public those are all things that come from a demand for consistency and a building of trust within what people can expect when they are working with you. And I think that establishing expectations and then following up on those expectations can be one of the most powerful things that you can do as a leader. So I know for me, like every time I go in the office once a week on Wednesdays, why you don't hear from me much um, outside of this podcast. So I'm probably there right now if you're listening to this. Um, the first, no matter what's going on outside of work, I could be like one one week removed from COVID, limping on my foot that I, or my shin that I fell down the stairs with, you know, whatever the case may be, my initial reaction is always going to be to come in with a smile on my face, with good energy, say good morning, just make sure that I am showing up in a way that shows consistency week over week. People know what they're getting when I come in. Um, they know what they're getting when they make a mistake and I have to talk to them. They know what they're getting on our, any given interaction. And I think that that consistency and stability is so overlooked and it's something that you can create within your team that's really stable and helpful. So I don't want to yap on too much about this, um, but I will say I just want to do a quick word on boundaries. So basically, the place of boundaries and building trust is that you are able to healthfully and directly articulate what those boundaries look like within your company culture. So now I know you might think that working for an HR company, our boundaries for what we talk about at work, what we message about at work, things like that are going to be really strict and straightforward and whatever. But actually, the unique and interesting thing about it is that we're probably one of the more HR inappropriate workplaces because we have worked together within our team to establish boundaries that everyone feels comfortable with. So I I know that we don't always we're not always perfect and we might make mistakes and while one of my employees is listening to this episode, she might be thinking I never, you know, signed off on that weird talk about whatever. Um which I hope isn't the case, but, you know, just kind of being able to be really open with the way that you communicate with your team can actually a lot for a lot more freedom in the topics that you're discussing. And I will say that this is totally different in a small business than a corporate environment. If you're managing a huge group of people or the people that are in your close inner circle of leaders um, are people that maybe you don't know well or whatever, or you're working in corporate where there's a lot of policies put in place that maybe you didn't have a part of, it's really, it's going to be really helpful for you to not just establish a kind of code of conduct within work and what's comfortable, but also that you want to just always err on the side of caution. But I will say that somebody is always going to find something to not like about the way that you interact with them. So being able to have that trust and accountability up front and establishing boundaries that everybody's comfortable with and that everybody's allowed to change when they want to is going to allow for those boundaries to be a little bit more flexible and have create space for something that you might consider HR or work inappropriate. So if you've ever been on the internet, you probably think you know a thing or two about boundaries. Boundaries. I think this is like a hot button topic that's going around and running rampant. But the improper use of boundaries is also running rampant from familiar relations to friendships to dating to work. Um, there is just 
so many different ideas that are out there about how to identify how boundaries look within the context of these these relationships and experiences. So being able to take some time within your remote culture to ideate and develop them is going to be just as important as in a physical office. And the way that you're going to be able to do that is to assume the most conservative and then allow for your team to show what they're comfortable with along the way. And I think that we can use those as guideposts for healthy relationships within your team. They're not just a mechanism for control or a way to avoid talking about things. It's very difficult to manage people or to manage relationships when one person is trying to control your behavior um, or when boundaries are being used as the excuse for control. Like, let's just call it what it is. It's company policy. (laughs) Like, that is allowed to control you. But a boundary isn't. And it makes it really kind of difficult to understand if your team doesn't understand the difference between a company policy and a boundary that you've created or set. So I'm going to tiptoe around this one a little bit because I think the misuse of this term can cut off your ability to fully show up as a leader. And really, there's a lot of other people out there that are going to be more qualified to talk to you about how to create boundaries around personal relationships at work. But I think that if your misuse of the term of boundaries is kind of conflating a situation where you have to be more in control or you're holding on to things tighter and tighter and tighter, then you're probably not really using boundaries to build trust in your team at all. So the trust isn't there. And so there's something missing that's requiring you to have to continuously lasso in and create control. So a good reset for the team and a culture would be would be much needed at that time because at some point you're going to let all those ropes go and then what's going to happen? It's exhausting to try to hold all these different things in place over time. So how I've seen this manifested is enacting a boundary or disclosing a boundary that removes any type of accountability. So for example, this is a really good example and this is where we're going to end the episode. An employee says that they have a boundary against using AI because they believe it's the downfall of society. Debatable, but you know, possibly valid. So it takes them three times as long to get their work done. As a leader, you can be sensitive to this person's individual belief system and you can be empathetic to this challenge within their role. But that doesn't mean that you are forced to divide their capacity by three. A boundary is incorrectly enacted here, and we want to carefully explain this to our employee in a way that draws on the trust we have built with them. Taking the time to listen and truly understand their perspective can actually go a long way, even if the outcome on your end is, sorry, you still need to stay on track with your time budgets, and AI allows us to do so. So by the employee saying that this is a boundary, what they were actually trying to do is control the situation in which their job was developing. So I think even just by removing that language and having a real conversation about the purpose and functionality of their job, the development of their position over time, and their personal professional development within their career, within that company, within that industry, where this may be something that they're not just going to see at your company, but others as well. I think that conversation can be really meaningful to the employee and also create a path for understanding between both parties. So it doesn't mean my employees set a boundary, they won't work with AI. So we just have to back down and and not let them use it and then hire two more people. Like, no, that's not the case at all. So I think that that's sometimes where, you know, the employee might walk away with a little bit of a like ick, I guess. Um, but I think, you know, that story can be really powerful when you're thinking about this because, 
we've been kind of in this movement where work is bad and bosses are bad and leadership is is greedy or evil or whatever. And the reality of the situation is not always that way. So don't let those voices in your head that, you know, managers are terrible or whatever, dictate the way that you interact with your employees when they are not correct in their requests. So now when I say not correct, I don't mean that their feelings aren't correct. I just mean that they are not really going to be able to use a boundary to control the situation. Control is through company policies. Unless that employee has the leadership and stature to create a company policy, then this is an attempt for control within their own job and autonomy within their own job. So the TLDR of this episode, I know, um, is that every employee is an individual with a unique blueprint and so are you as a leader. So setting the expectation that growth and change are not only encouraged but expected as part of the process, then being open and vulnerable with your own development, your shortcomings, and your struggles can be a great strategic way to build trust that is also really authentic. So finally, listening to understand, like this employee we just talked about, and not just listening to say that you did, is a big mistake that I see leaders make when it comes to building trust. It's a key component to encouraging a growth mindset. So literally, sometimes just sitting down and listening to understand doesn't mean that a result has to change. But if your employee knows that they heard what you said and will consider it, that is sometimes the biggest impact you can make. Then just remember that later on, you might be able to take that into consideration through other initiatives and show the employee that you are listening to them, especially because a lot of our employees do have really great ideas. They just sometimes can't be enacted right away. Um, and then be confident in your needs as a leader that you aren't wrong because you require work from your team. So I know that sounds like, you know, shocking, um, but we can create an environment that lends itself to positive and productive work without necessarily creating an environment that's super tactical or, you know, not easy to be around or whatever the case may be. So that's why it's super important to have a neutral resource on your team that can speak to the implication of sometimes difficult discussions. So in traditional teams, that might be HR. So if you work in corporate, it, make sure that you're utilizing HR and being able to use this language, whether you're an employee or a manager, to get your point across, to get the support that you need. Because while you may see things on the internet about HR not being helpful in certain areas or not being able to be trusted or whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is almost every person that went into any form of HR, whether it be people operations like us, HR um, in the traditional sense that went and got a certification, you know, whatever the case may be, they did it because they want to help people have a better time at work. So by a appealing to the nature of HR in its truest form, which is creating a positive work environment, you are also going to get a lot farther in the corporate environment. And it's really important that you have that within your team structure as well. So while you're creating a small team, making sure that they have a neutral resource, whether it be on the team or through an outsourced HR organization or whatever the case may be, not only does it create a sense of legitimacy within your team, especially in hiring one or two employees or three or four employees, or even just your very first employee that's going to help you get to your next level of business or whatever the case may be. Those are going to be that area of legitimacy is not just because, oh, look what I have. It's HR. But it's actually like, not only did I hire you to help me, but I also created a system in which you can be compliantly onboarded and supported. And even after the fact, we have a resource here to make sure that we're ensuring your safety as an employee. So don't misunderstand what HR does for your team. And just remember, you're never done developing your skills as a leader because they change and grow as you do. So having a consistent checkpoint to ensure your team isn't accidentally being dragged on an emotional journey with you is key. 
sorry to my team. <laughs> no, but really, and we're working on all of that. Um, I think it's okay to show up imperfectly and to make mistakes and even make big no-nos along the way. But recalibrating and taking ownership will be critical to maintaining authentic relationships with anyone you lead. So I'd love to know if you have any experience or stories with complicated team members or any time you may have discussed boundaries in the workplace that either went your way or didn't. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm not a therapist, although after all these years, I've gotten pretty far um, with my therapy. But I would just want to say that there may be some times where you've discussed boundaries in the workplace, or if you are somebody that is really well versed in the utilization of boundaries in the personal life, I'd love to hear how your experience has been in enacting those boundaries and using the correct language in the work environment. So like I said, I didn't want to talk about it too much, just touching on those little facts of you know making sure that you're using that term correctly in order for it to be safely used by your team. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's a really good start. And it, when it comes to building trust, I know this was a longer episode, um, but I think it is probably one of the most important foundational steps that you can take that are intangible when it comes to building your team. So understanding this journey is really a great way to kick off our February podcast month. And next week is Valentine's Day. So I look forward to talking a little bit more about this topic on a higher level then. Um, so on all of that is to say we do have our people leader archetype quiz. So if you've had any coupled with this conversation and if you've had any experience in this before, figuring out what your leadership archetype is is going to show you where your strengths are in communication and leadership. So you can take that quiz result and directly adapt it over to what we talked about today and building trust on your team. Um, so looking forward to hearing everybody's results. Make sure you're sharing those on social media. Um, and I love this discussion on boundaries. So feel free to reach out and chat through that on Instagram. But I hope you're having a really good week so far and see you next Wednesday.